Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of the State of Love and Trust, the Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and I'm alongside my good pal, my good buddy, my my better half. That is not my wife. Wow. You, <laughs> I'm pointing <laughs> that, at you. I, I haven't had an intro like that in a long time. Well, there you go. You yeah. just got one. To be compared favorably to your wife is, is quite a compliment. Paul Gillieri. That's there my he name. is. That's the guy. And this is our game today, Jason. We are going to take a little bit of a retrospective, a look back at something we did in, uh, in uh, about a year ago, right? We, uh, well, our first episode was uh, early to mid-May of mm. 2020. And although uh, Gigaton has just come out a year prior, um, today, if you're listening to it on the day that it's dropped, it's March 30, 30th? Yeah, 31st. I don't know what that is, but uh, the album would have just come out a year ago and our review of the album came out, I think, uh, episodes two and three, which were the middle of May last year. But our opinions, we, we, we hung on to those opinions until we started the show and uh, we wanted to see how that album has aged over a very interesting year, not a normal year, no, bleh, not a normal year where a album would you know become wiser and age beautiful like a lovely scotch it it uh it's been a different year and so we want to see how this album um has aged to us yeah. uh, we also want how to, well did gigaton hold up under the weight of a global pandemic that's yes. what we're going to talk about today and we've got a uh, a what if um kind of uh piggybacking off of this look back if yep. you will so I say we just kind of jump right into things. Let's but, do it. I'm ready. But first, you do it. You do it. Those of you who are listening today, tonight, we'd like you to do something for us. Mm-hmm. We'd like you to find us wherever podcasts are found. And we'd like you to rate, to review, and to subscribe, especially the reviews. I have to say, I was looking at the reviews recently for the podcast mm-hmm. and they're very insightful. They really, really are. And personally, I find it to be very helpful to read a review of a podcast. Uh, it really gives you an insight into what the listening experience is going to be like. And to hear you, the listener, share with us your thoughts about what Jason and I are doing is this, this passion project of ours. Uh, number one, we're very grateful. And uh, number two, it helps encourage a greater sense of community. And I think that more than anything is what drew you and I, Jason, to this entire project in the first place. So absolutely. And speaking of community real quick, last Saturday evening, I was on the Pearl Jam uh, fan club members clubhouse chat. I was with Randy from Live and Four Legs, um, a few other folks from around the globe. Actually, one of the gentlemen was from, uh, I want to say London. And we were just chit-chatting about how this um, how this album has aged and, and in the greater good of Pearl Jam, whether or not the um, the summer tour of 2021 will happen and 
yada, yada, yada. And it, yeah. it, it dovetails right into what we're going to talk about here. And that is Gigaton. As you may or may not have noticed, uh, very conspicuously, we have never done a lyric uh, of the week or a live cut of the week of this album. And that is because there is no tour. There is no live cut to pull from. So when you when you look back and you count all the um, all the songs we've done for Lyric of the Week, you'll notice there's a big gaping hole yeah. in Gigaton. And that is not by mistake. We are waiting to actually have live cuts to pull from. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, again, we'll touch on that in our what if. But first, Waiting with breathless anticipation. I, mean. I know, because I want to talk about some of these songs on a more yeah. deep level. But here we go. Um, I'm going to start this off. I'm going to kind of go back through each song and kind of, you know, I haven't done this since we did it last year. So whoever said, here we go, Frankenstein Rock. That's what the song <laughs> feels like to me, Frankenstein Rock. You can really hear all the little pieces as this song kind of barrels across the sonic landscape. It's an allusion to the rest of the album, I feel. And it's definitely the right album opener. We're not going to retract this for a long time, but that's right. my initial reaction, right? Now, I love how manic it gets before the uh, road step aside lyric. And I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, then it writes itself like a boat that was ready to capsize, but saves itself at the last second. I love the false ending. Thank you, Matt. And mm-hmm. this will probably be elongated live, and I am here for it. And it's is is it's still as good as I remember. I love this song. I, I think it's fantastic. I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I don't remember what I what I did last time around almost a year ago, but four out of five for me this time around. Uh, what say you for whoever said? You know, Jason, um, I think I enjoy the song more now than I did when Good. i first heard it yes um i i still think it's a little too long mm-hmm. um you know I, I it shifts into a bit of a slower sequence which i appreciate but it, it still feels a little inflated um, a little long in the tooth for me I, I i think it'd be stronger if it was a little shorter um obviously i'm not suggesting they speed up the pace the pacing is, is fantastic it's it's a great just you know hit you in the face power chord punch in the mouth and and, and uh, there, there seems to be a mission statement in the song and so I completely agree with you as an opening track it's perfectly situated in terms of track listing so I, I still love the song I think I probably like it even better than I did now I don't recall the rating I gave it before I think Good. I gave it up I don't want you to recall what it was because I want yeah. you to be fresh in your yeah, mind exactly. what do you, how do you feel about it now so because of the length it's a 3 out of 5 for me if it was a little shorter it probably close closer to a four so three and a half uh three three out of five is uh, kind of average uh yeah i mean i i don't know man i maybe it needs to just marinate a bit more with me um, okay I, I have it's just the length i mean it's it's a strong track it it's really, a long really album is. it is a long album which believe me after this much of a layoff i have no qualms with that but i i will say though that when I first heard this track, I mean, when that riff comes in, it, it it hits, and I'm excited, and I'm super into the album, and I'm loving where this is going. I'm sure you were too after hearing "Dance with the Clairvoyance" before this. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, I I just feel like it, it the false ending it gets to a place where I kind of wanted it to end there, and then it doesn't, and then I'm like, ah, I was kind of ready to. Ed had more to say. Yeah, yeah apparently he did, and uh, you know, uh, just like for you in. Um, seven o'clock that's a bit of an issue <laughs> yeah i think for me here musically i i would have liked a little tighter of an ending there fair enough so yeah. you give it a three i give it a four to five 
in Mar- late March 2021. So I will put up uh, a a Instagram post, a an Instagram post out uh, with our comparative rankings, our comparative grades, uh, one year apart, so you can see. Because honestly, I don't remember what the hell they were. Let's move on to Super Blood Wolf Moon. I know it's Paul's favorite dad punk song that Pearl Jam yes. has done. <laughs> uh, I really love the drum sound on this song. It's like the drum sound I look for. Yeah. And there's something really raw about Ed's guitar. And when the guys come in, it's pretty thick for guitars that don't have a lot of gain on them. Again, mm-hmm. I'm talking, you know, talking about gearheads here, my, my guitar players, you know, if Sergio and, and Luis were here, they'd be like, yeah, I understand. The, the gain is dialed back, but the but the notes are just thick. The, the the guitars are thick, and the open chords in the bridge feel like everyone is playing bass. That's how thick these notes sound to me. Now, the solo, the mic solo, honest to God, it might be top five all time for me. I yeah, love it. My initial notes from a year ago, I said mic solo here is a smash. It's fantastic. The vibrato bar dive that he does in the middle of still playing is so sick. Yeah. Um, Ed sounds like he's on the verge of running out of breath this entire time and it adds some amazing urgency. I love it. The way the music ends with the windy whoosh is the cherry on top for me. Another four out of five, a four and a half out of five for me. Nearly perfect. It's just right there. I love it. It's you said it. It's the best dad punk version and it's got a wicked mic solo. So I'm curious to see how you view it a year later. Uh, my, my interpretation stems from a totally different angle, bud. Go. Uh, lyrically. Mm. I've really, really explored this song more over the year that I've had to listen to. And it speaks to me even more now than it did when I first heard. I think musically, I loved it initially, but I didn't really sit with the lyrics very much. Mm. Um, the song seems to be about a failed relationship that, that, that got ugly at times. And it leaves the speaker with a lot of regret. And... I feel like that's a very common feeling for a lot of people. And I don't know, it, it spoke to me on, on a much deeper level. So here, here I had a song that I already really loved musically. And now I feel like I connect with it lyrically. So I'm with you. It's a four out of five. It's, it, it's a very strong track, very strong track. So four out of five. So th- you're, you're three out of five, four out of five. I'm four and a half, four and a half so far. Four, are, are we doing halves? I'm doing halves, baby. Oh, hmm. Well, if we're doing halves, I think okay. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw a, a point five onto. <laughs> yes, come on, baby. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Whatever we'll I definitely do that. Um, I, I, I'm with you on that. It, it, it's definitely in this vein. It's the strongest track I've heard in the catalog like this. I said that initially. I feel even more so now. So totally with you on that. Four and I will of, say just four. as a coda on this song, when I've first first heard it i was like mm, this sounds like another one of those you know kind of up-tempo shorter rock songs but but after the first couple of listens i go no no no, this is really cool this is yeah, really cool is, man. and now it's... i'm a year later i'm like no this is fucking sick this and is I, gonna be great live by the way it's gonna be fantastic live anyways before we go a little too premature in that song dance of the clairvoyance lead single i, I i'm on record many times as to being disappointed on first few listens first few dozen listens the, <laughs> <laughs> i mean let's be honest here the beat and the bass line are cool better than my initial reaction from what i can remember the synth line i still don't care for very much and the digital hi-hat thing i still don't care for very much like still kind of kind of give me like the little 
musical heebie-jeebies. I really like <laughs> I really like Mike's riff in the verses, though. It's really interesting. It's it's unique for them, especially, and I especially for a Hendrixy guy. It's it's not very Hendrixy, you know. It's kind of it's, yeah. kinda, it's own thing going on. I still really enjoy Ed's lyrics. The little guitar swells in the second chorus are very cool. I don't remember them on the first go, and. The whole ending outro layers so so well. I think the digital stuff is much more in the background there, and I think that that whole ending is fantastic. Um, I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of five. I think I might have given it a little bit lower score last time around, but yeah. I am enjoying it more. I'll say that. That's good. What uh, do you still think? A, still a standout track for me. You get Stone on bass. You get I think some of Mike's best guitar work. Um. This to me, this kind of guitar work is very reminiscent of what he did on um, "Of the Girl" off Binaural. It just it really just just stands out. Uh, it's a phenomenal groove at the end. All the layered lyrics, it, it it really is. And most notably, these new doors that were opened, courtesy of this track. Yeah. And Stone's side project really has me wondering. What else is in, in the future? And I'm excited, man. I'm excited about Pearl Jam music. And that's something that I think is what I appreciate most about this band. Again, there are so many acts from the 80s and 90s that just keep recycling the same sound. Yeah. And here is a band that as they grow and evolve as people, their music grows and evolves with them. And I'm along for that ride. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. This song for that. me, four, four out of five. Four to five. Okay. So yeah. I'm not too far off for you anymore. No. We're, we're no. fairly close. Yeah. Um, funny you should say uh, making music that, gr- that grows with you or uh, as you grow, you kind of change your approach to music. There was a gentleman on this clubhouse chat that I mentioned earlier who was talking about how he he he's 30 and mm-hmm. he can't really get past anything past the third album. Like he just, he just doesn't connect with it. And I said, well, listen, I've been where you are. Now I said, oh, listen, I'm not trying to condescend or anything like that. I am a little bit older than you. I'll be 39 in a few months. And there were a number of songs on No Code by Neural Riot Act that I just, I did not understand for a long time. I'm like, this is like slower. It's kind of like, it's not as intense or aggressive. Like, what are they talking about? Like, <laughs> where, where's like the angst and the aggression? That's what I was into, right? That's why I got right. into the band. As did many, many people. I had not matured to a point to appreciate that. Now, listen, if, 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 different kinds of music just aren't your thing then you're not gonna you're not gonna allow it's not gonna allow you to get into the lyrical content but maybe you might get to a point where you you let the lyrics kind of supersede the music and you learn to enjoy the music because you've finally found what the lyrics truly mean to you whereas before maybe you just hadn't gotten to a point where they make any sense for your particular experience well the, the flip side of that is can you will it can you make it so? I say that because when I was much younger, I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, early 20s, I uh, I had a desire to love bourbon. I don't know why. Because <laughs> it was I, a thing to do, right? Well, I, I mean, I, you know, I liked bourbon, but I didn't love bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I, I would read up on it. I researched it. I tried different, different uh, distilleries. And I got to a point where I truly, you, you know, they say scotch is an acquired taste. Yep. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to actually put in the work to acquire something. And so I feel like with a band like Pearl Jam and their music, and ironically, I'm more of a scotch drinker now than I am a bourbon drinker, but Hello. with, there you go. But so with, 
this particular set of albums past the, the first three, I almost feel like it's really important to kind of just sit with them and say, okay, part of me wants to like this because I love the band. So let me just keep exploring this. Let me just keep reading about the songs. Is there something I'm missing? Are there aspects and elements to the track that I'm not, that, that I could appreciate more? And before you know it, you just start sitting with these tracks. And then they, they start almost um, connecting with you based on your own life experiences in ways that you hadn't anticipated before. And you, you just start retroactively reflecting on them in ways that you hadn't before. And then suddenly, you know, there's an appreciation that suddenly. Well, falls. look at the episode we did about songs you used to hate and now love kind of thing. Exactly. Right. And it all comes so. from, you know, as we, as we live, we experience more things. And I, what I was telling this guy is like, listen, they got to a point with Vitalogy, especially with no code where they had toured so much that they had weathered emotionally and mentally much more efficiently, as I'll say, mm. than their fans were. So they got to a point where it's like, okay, that aggression and those experiences in the first couple of records, they had already done it's all that. It's not sustainable. And they, it's not. <laughs> and they had seen other things bigger than themselves that were that were drawing inspiration or, or, or that were inspiration. Yeah. And so they were these, these macro issues kind of came to the fore. And that's what you see as they've grown older, they, they've already figured out certain ways to deal with the personal. And so it's you think about bigger things. Right. Um, that isn't good or bad. That's just kind of how they have evolved. Mm-hmm. And if you're still kind of in a place where you don't have the ability to focus on the bigger picture, you, you're still focusing on yourself, which is totally fine. Then you may not understand or may not really dig the vibe or the theme of some of these later songs. No. But you maybe will get there. You might. And, and I don't. I don't know who this gentleman was. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him. Lovely but- guy. I'm sure not only is he lovely, but he deserves extra credit for somehow derailing us off of the entire okay. segment. It makes no, sense I love it. With, with this song, it, no, it, 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 it's a perfect segue. I, I, I'm just mentioning how cool it is that, you know, you, again, and this, this is the great part about their music is that you can't talk about Pearl Jam without going off on a million different detours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the detour takes us to Quick Escape. Yeah, and- let's make a Quick Escape back to this album segment. Back to the album, and uh, I man, I still love Jeff's bass. Completely different drum sound, by the way, to Super Blood Super Blood Move. I can't say the fucking name. Super Blood Wolf Moon, for example. And it's interesting how different every song sounds sonically. I don't know why I didn't really notice that before, but I'm really noticing it uh, on my really intense listen that I did for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I still love how Ed carries the the groove and the verses and the whole song feels like it's occurring while we're ascending to an outer orbit. I think it's, it might be very obvious. Well, it has that I want out feel to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, And even like without the obvious NASA type samples, it was mixed in that way. It's very open sounding. There's lots of reverb on everything and it's very processed, you know? So I love all the layers in the outro again. I mean, obviously Mike shines with another fantastic out of this world solo. And I still love Jeff's Jafe. I still love Jeff's bass getting some love in the mix. It's like another rocket kind of fighting to reach the stratosphere before Mike's guitar does. It's this cool like battle sort of thing. And then it just sort of sputters out at the end like they're finally in orbit. They finally get there. 
and you just hear like the remnants kind of falling by the wayside and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's still awesome i don't remember what i did it last time but it's a four and a half for me yeah you know man i looking at my original notes just some of the stuff i said in those second and third episodes mm. basically a year ago 70s rock personified some of jeff's finest were bass solo over mike solo are you kidding me a mike <laughs> solo and a stone solo all of that stuff is outstanding um but Ooh. and i gave it a five out of five by the way yeah i was gonna say i, I said this was a five I, yeah. I said it was one of the the greatest up you know the, the greatest hits yeah. album they had up and down i said it was one of the greatest up songs i've ever done i need to hear this track live a year later, it almost feels a little too produced to me. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's still reminiscent of those iconic, epic 70s classic rock songs, the kind for which Pearl Jam always carried the torch for our generation. That being said, I, I almost want to hear it stripped down because I, I feel like there, there's, a, a, there's a pulse that gets somewhat muddled because of all the excess production. And so I think I'm, I'm slightly downgrading it from a five to a four and a half out of five. I still think it crushes. I love the song, but I wonder what it would sound like if we just kind of took some of that away and just let it just breathe as this great rock song, this heavy metal just masher. And uh, and I, I feel like we don't quite get there because of all the production. You know what it is? It's, um, it's because we have heard it played our friends in Black Circle, our friends in Red Mosquito have both played this on their own live streams. We've heard it in a in a live band context with no processing and digital effects and, and fancy mixing and shit. So we've heard what it could be. And so now, now we're excited to see, okay, what's Pearl Jam going to do with this? Because we've heard this version, this live version. And it's the and, same way how I think about Dance of the Clairvoyance where I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But then I heard the quote unquote live version from Black Circle and I go, oh shit. Yeah, this could be really cool. Yeah. So in the same way, you know, it, it's making us think about the song a little bit differently. Great plug, by the way, because I I think one of my favorite offshoots of this whole experience with you is the, the amazing friendships that we've made with these mm. great bands. And I can honestly say, I don't know when we're going to get live Pearl Jam, but in the meantime, please, those of you listening, go check out these bands because you can literally hear what Gigaton could sound like live and it's done exceptionally well. Yeah, I mean, just to that point, uh, if you're keeping track with Black Circle, you know that they do uh, a once a month live stream. Their most recent one, they played verses in its entirety in a row. They played for like three hours. They finished with a couple of, uh, a couple of Foo Fighters songs. Uh, Red Mosquito, um, our boys in Peru, they were in a lockdown for a long time, couldn't do anything. This past Saturday, they finally did a live stream after like three months of doing nothing. So they were back at it. They sounded great. Uh, our friends in Corduroy, I'm going to pull it up real quick, uh, up in the Bay Area, have something scheduled. And it's sold out. It's sold out April 10th, Saturday, April 10th. All right. 5 to 7 p.m. in Walnut Creek, California. So the Big Bay yeah, Area, the East, East Bay. Side, yeah. East Bay. They're doing uh, basically an homage to MTV Unplugged. So if uh-huh. you are up there, I think they're going to live stream it. I think they are. That's I, I got to talk to Diego about this, but I think they are going to live stream this. And point is, is that, you know, if they, they could decide to do a comes then goes or something like that and kind of throw that into the mix. We talked about a, a an unplugged 2.0 uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. So we'll see. But yes, quick escape. You know, it, it, 
we'll see how it plays out um, when Pearl Jam finally plays it live because we heard, we've gotten a little taste. I mean, like Infallible, that was a song that yep. when I heard it live, I totally loved it 10 times more than when I heard it on the on the album. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't already love this song, but the, same I, with Longer, by the way. Long yeah. Road is the same way with me. It's so much better live for me than than on the record. Yeah. Anyways, before I get too uh, diverged here, all right. Next song on the record, all right. Uh, I still still a little weirded out by the digital eight bit sounding stuff in the in the left channel. Um, <laughs> I, I I do like the the Pink Floyd type opening. But yeah. Then it kind yeah. of it doesn't. It, it doesn't truly become that though. It doesn't right? become that. I know yeah. I I can't compare this song to Pink Floyd. That's insanity. But like. Right. It got me to a place where I'm like, ooh, I'm happy in this zone. But then it kind of went further into the digital realm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm. you know, once we hit It's All Right, I really enjoy the vibe. And it has some pendulum vibes going on. And once again, Matt's drums t- sound totally different. It's like mm-hmm. it's like a different kit altogether. And it might be. And the line, it's okay to turn it off. Ignore the rules of the state. It's your own this line feels heavier in hindsight. Like at the time we were just getting into this, this lockdown and we had no clue what any of it meant. We didn't know what it meant to us. We didn't know what it meant to the future. We had no clue what was going on. It was a little scary and you hear this and you're like, okay, all right. But now looking back, I'm like, shit, it's just, it's just really heavy. Um, I, I think it's a good song, not a great song. I don't remember what I did last time around. This time I'm giving it a three. But I am very curious to see how this translates to the live experience because I think it'll actually get better. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I also gave it a three. I, I might have given it a three at the time. I don't recall. Uh, it was a two or a three for sure. It's still understated. I think this song's actually going to age well, and I can see it really speaking to people. Lyrically, it has a very anthemic feel. There's some of those lines. I mean, they really, I mean, they almost feel... They feel like the lyrics in in hiding, you know, they, that anthemic feel, but the music never quite carries it there, which I'm fine with because, again, you listen to the opening and, and you, you get that Pink Floyd vibe. I guess that's part of what leaves me wanting more with the track is I, there's all these interesting elements to it, but they never quite follow through with any of it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not fair to the composition of, of the track because it is its own organic thing. And really I should be judging the track based on whether or not it realizes its own ambitions. And I remain undecided on that. So I'm going to give it a three for now. I feel like it's a song that I'm going to constantly be changing my relationship <laughs> with it for, for, for years to come. Can't disagree. I think we've. I think that's a. I think that song's very easy to kind of see where you are in the moment. Like, okay, this is how I feel about it right now. Because it's it's the shortest song on the record, so there's not really a lot a lot of ways for it to go. Right. It kind of is what it is. Um, seven o'clock. Oh, I can't wait to hear this from you. <laughs> seven o'clock. This the end of side A. If this was a record. <laughs> Man, there's there's still a lot of word salad happening here. Um. Basic beat, obvious lyrics. I don't think this is a coming from a, a a coming from the most objective place I could possibly think of. I don't think the song will age well. Interesting. There is this little uptick in the pitch of Ed's voice at the end. Of, I think it's like the third line of reverse that just sounds so contrived. Like they were going through this song and these lyrics and thinking. Wow, this is really basic and really kind of boring. 
What can we do to spice up the verse? Hey, can you just kind of like jump your pitch up for that one word? Sure, I can do that. And that's like the most interesting point of the lyric of the lyrics in the verse. Ugh, I, I, the chorus is still super underwhelming, especially because it's relying on the synth so much. It's just mm, the little guitar line out of the co- first chorus that sounds like it's kind of drowning in the chorus effect. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. This this song just sounds like a few different songs in one. And I feel like we said that the first time around. I still feel that way, maybe even more so. It doesn't know what it wants to be. And that's all before we get to the, uh, you know, sitting bullshit, sitting president line, which is just terrible. I, I, I still cringe at that. It's just, especially now that this motherfucker, pardon my French, this motherfucker is out of office, <laughs> you know, so much of the Trump stuff on this record, just, just it doesn't work anymore. It would have been great on a tour last year, but it doesn't work anymore. And I caught myself, I literally, I swear to God, I caught myself daydreaming, staring off at a pair of sneakers while listening to this, aiming to take notes. I, and I, oh shit, I haven't been paying attention for the last 25 seconds. Wow. Once it gets to the first much to be done line, it finally finds a foothold for me, mm-hmm. but it's fallen so far for the first four minutes that it can't recover. And the the much to be done outro isn't nearly as epic as they want it to be for me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's still way too reliant on the synths, and and no I, no idea how they'll play this live. I, I mean, I guess Boom gets a new keyboard and he has to like play the all those synth parts. I don't know. <laughs> I just I do not understand what about this song is attractive to people. Um, that's that, that's me just not understanding. It's that doesn't mean that. It, people can like it of course people can like it i give it a one and a half and i, wow. I don't remember i don't remember what it was last time around but I'm, I'm struggling to find things that i find redeeming about this song you know i think all of your criticisms have merit it's really interesting your interpretation of the track this idea that it's a lot of different things that are all trying to be the same mm. you know they're all they're all trying to coalesce in, mm-hmm. into one congruent just you know it's not comp- composition but but it i and i hear that uh, I think people love the verse. For me, it was, it's interesting that you have so much criticism of the verse. I, the wordiness I get, I understand that, but it's actually my favorite part of the song. It's the chorus that, oh God, I cringe when I hear it. The way he says dreams too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this particular track, the chorus falls flat for me. And that's supposed to be this this uplifting part of the song and, and and it doesn't lift me up in a way that say if it had a chorus like in hiding i think this oh, would be a classic man. yeah it would it, be it, a, yeah. It, it would literally be up there with with uh given a fly and, and some of those tracks the chorus doesn't hit for me that way so it doesn't land there um it, it's a three out of five for me there are some strong elements three to out of it. five yeah i mean look i've revisited the album more times than i can count I can't say that I enjoy a track like, you know, It's All Right more or less than this one. I mean, so it's, and I gave that a three out of five. So I, I just feel like it, three out of five is, it, it, it's fine. It's you fine. Gave, it's, you it's gave pretty good. Whoever said a three and a half. That song is far and away better than the song. Well, yes and no, maybe. I don't know. Look, it, Pearl Jam thrives at mid tempo. This is a mid tempo track. It is. 
Okay. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this particular track, you can interpret the, the lines however you want. And yes, some of it is pointed, but you know what? There's a lot of stuff on Riot Act that was very Bush centric. And it's not like they eschew playing all of Riot Act because of that. You know what I mean? I, I feel like there's certain, granted, a, a track that's over the top, like Bush Leaguer, that's different. I think this is the Bush Leaguer of this album. And they're not ah. going to play it past this tour. Really? Honest to God. But Eddie has a history of changing lyrics for his songs. I mean, what I, if there's another, if maybe there's another like conservative president who is also a psychopath in like eight years, maybe. But honestly, yeah. I, I don't, well, I mean, this I, is a Bush leader. Okay, but look at all the Trump references. There's a Trump reference in Quick Escape. Yeah. It, he does mention actually, his name it, 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 He actually mentions his name in that song and, and we just get- That's sitting, true. I mean, we don't even get that. We, we get more of, a, of an illusion in seven o'clock, so. You, there, there is the one line, what Trump fucked up in Quick Escape, but literally almost everything about this song is about the feeling of learning that Trump was elected president. Waking up one morning and, and hearing the news. That's what this entire song is about. Okay, that's fair, but let's be honest. I mean, this, this era in history, I mean, let me ask you a question. If somebody wrote a song about Kennedy getting shot mm -hmm. 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, would that song no longer be memorable? Would it no longer hold its its weight in water? Uh, Candle in the Wind is written about Marilyn Monroe. It's one of Elton John's greatest tracks. I, I don't think that song has lost any luster, even though it's about a woman that is no nowhere near as relevant and iconic well, as she it, maybe it, was in, in the She wasn't as controversial either. No, fair enough. But I, I just feel that this particular song, I mean, sometimes music captures a moment in time. And I don't think that it necessarily becomes outdated. I think sonically, musically, it can feel outdated. Like you listen to a track and you say, God, that sounds so 50s or so early 90s, sure, that's sure. fine. But I think lyrically, it's, sometimes it's just a, a portrait of the times. And, and it's a reflection of what we were experiencing on a social level. See, and it's a shared experience. That but I, I think I, you I can think do that in a, in a very poetic way. I mean, you think about a song by Neil Young called Ohio. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that was CSNY. Um, that song's a very obvious, it's about one moment in time, but it's way better and it's more poetic. Whereas this song, I think, I feel like Ed's trying to be poetic, but in doing so, he's cramming all these words in and then he kind of runs out of steam and makes a line like sitting bullshit, sitting president. It's like, that is so fucking lazy. Oh, uh, well, look. Let's hear maybe, it. Maybe live. I'm wrong. I'm curious. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I'm, uh, all I know is that when, when this <laughs> when this song came out, yes, you reached out to me and you said, "Paul, you got to check the boards online. There are literally people that are saying people this is the best thing they've, ever, they've ever written." So I don't. How do you write a song that has that type of of an impact on on Pearl Jam fans? So to me, I mean, look, <laughs> I don't think. That anybody said that about a song like, uh, gosh, what were we railing on the other day? Uh, we were making fun of a song? Well, not making fun of it, but I mean, we were talking about tracks that just don't. Was hit. this off air or was this on air? No, this was on air. What was oh, it? Oh, God. Um, Songs We Hate and Still Hate. <laughs> was, it a, was it Pearl Jam? Yes, of course. Oh, um, God damn it. It's a song we both agreed just. 
doesn't. Oh, my really. father's son. Uh, maybe. I don't I know. Although we actually went to a show with somebody who said that was his favorite song. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Point is, let's hear it live. Let's let the people decide, Jason. Yeah, listen, hold on. Okay, so I'm coming off very soapboxy, and that's, that's hey, I got a fucking show here. I can do that. But I want you <laughs> to tell me why I'm wrong. Please, listen. Let's put the discussion to the test. Yeah, you're open, in. man. If you feel, and I know you, I love you for this. If you feel that there's parts of this song that you are not hearing, that you're mm-hmm. not seeing, you'll be the first person to say, tell me what I'm missing. I would here. rather be wrong and end up liking the song than not. Of course. Let's Nobody wants to not like a Pearl Jam song. Well, <laughs> Nobody listening to this anyone. People, people who are jabronis who shouldn't be. <laughs> Anyways. That's right. a, that's a, that's Never a destination. <laughs> 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 You're segueing for me. I love it. Okay. Never destination. Boo, here we go. Uh, hey, I love how the drums change in the buildup to the whole band coming in. That radio filter thing. Love it. I love Ed's meter and his singing. Like he's sputtering. Fantastic. Much like um, whoever said, the guitars sound thick without having a lot of gain. Like uh, almost like the thi- like the strings are thick. It's weird, and I love the lyrics in this one. Never destination, just more denial. It's very simple, but it, it gets to the point. And another fantastic Mike solo with awesome staccato stone underneath. Uh, so much guitar is happening on that solo piece, and I love the okay, bring it down portion. The whole interlude here, like you like you're sitting beneath. Isn't the that the end tension. of the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like it's like you're sitting right beneath the surface tension of water, and Ed's vocals echoing in the wide channels so digitally, and and I rail on like digital sounds, but they sound really cool here for for my taste. Great lyrics as well. That gaping maw line, I've always loved that, and then kind of slingshotted back to the surface for the last verse. In the very last lyrical bit, I can see it. Uh, not being necessary. It's like an extra little bit that like you were up and you kind of brought it back down. Like, why bring everything back down? I, it doesn't kill me. Uh, I don't mind it too much. It feels like they've finally found their destination and everything is okay. Maybe that's kind of how you would take it. If they if they lost it and just ended it on the high, that'd be cool too. I, I've said it before. I don't remember what I, what I rated it last time. But I'm going to give it a four and a half. I love it. Cool. Cool. What do you think? That's the whole song for four minutes and 17 seconds until that interlude. Are you sure? This song is a three out of five for me. Never Destination? Yes, a three out of five. It is the most repetitive song. Literally, he plays the same riff, what feels like for all four minutes and 17 seconds. Really? Until that end to me, which if... Absent that end, I'd give it a two out of five. It, 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 look, it, it's four minutes and 17 seconds. It feels like five minutes and 17 That's seconds. Unbelievable. I would probably enjoy it more if it sat closer to three and a half minutes. That's just me. It's, it, 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 it says the guy honestly, who said it feels after like swallowed years, whole. It's great to have more it's music. swallowed. <laughs> it's, it's literally this, the swallowed whole of this album. Oh my I'm sorry. god! You shut your mouth. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. It's uh, all right. I don't know. I guess you're allowed to have I'm not saying on it's a show. B- <laughs> <laughs> I 
You were if you say? said this song was disposable, I would not argue with you. Oh my god, now you're just talking crazy talk. <laughs> All right, I, you guys have to chime in on this one because I think Paul is smoking something not good. <laughs> There's pain chips in the room, apparently. I look, I, I, I didn't like it a year ago. Well, okay, that's not true. It's not that I don't like it. I don't. It's not like I skip it like I want to skip evacuation. But I, I just, I can't listen to more than like two and a half minutes of it before I'm like, okay, are, are you going to move into a different key here? A different, I mean, what, like, what's going on? It's just the same riff. I like that it kind oh. of beats you over the head. Like it doesn't, it doesn't let you up. Oh, well, that, that, that's good because it bludgeoned me over the head yeah. for four minutes and 17 seconds. In the same a. place, repetitively. Okay. We're moving on. Take the long way. Right, Let's take right, the right. long way out of this song. <laughs> I like that song. Uh, take the long way. I love how yes. we have another new guitar sound. This very mid-focused, very just punky rock and roll tone in the guitar. Haven't heard that the entire record. The little odd time signature bars between the punky stuff. I like it a lot now. I didn't like it at all the first time. I'm into it. The pre-chorus just rips with all the vocal layers and the and like the male guitar things happening, and then the guitar, uh, the, the guitar, and then the chorus. Uh, it, it, it keeps the momentum up. It keeps it going with, with these amazing female backing vocals from Megan Grundahl. She's fantastic. I think this song is gonna rip live, and it'll be interesting to see who they get to sing Megan's part at each show. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have the guys just kind of do a falsetto and it would kind of work, but it'd be great to have. It's not you know, sirens though. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like her vocal is kind of unique mm-hmm. and I'd like to see if they, you know, if Slater Cuny's in town, if they get Carrie to come up and do it or, or whatever, or Megan come out, hell, fuck it. I'll have her come out and do it. I think it'd be fantastic. It's not the best solo for Mike on the record, but it's still very, very good. And I love the outro with all those vocal layers. I think it sounds epic, especially from Megan Grundahl again. It's almost like angels weaving around the band as they fly down a ravine toward hell. That's what she <laughs> sounds like amongst the band in the outro. I give it a yeah. four. Uh, I, I think, I, I think I, it's an upgrade. I, I, for you, it is. Yeah, I, it might have been for me as well. I, I, I love this song. I give it a four as well it feels mm. like a riot act track to me but in the best mm. of ways it's more dynamic i think it, yeah. it has that heavy sound garden feel to it as well it's some of matt's finest work it's a very strong track i think it's actually some of the stronger vocal arrangements on the album Ooh, uh, I, I love the duet aspect of it with the female accompaniment the, the, to me the solo is blistering man i actually really it's very like good it. i just think yeah that those that are, that are better on the and, album. and the ending you mentioned i think it's one of the finer moments on the album it really is and it keeps growing on me too it's one of those songs that there was something about it that intrigued me and it brought me to a place of really liking the song a lot and i can see myself getting to a place where i love the song you know what's funny is you mentioned on the first i i recall this the the very first i guess this would be episode three because it's the back half of the record you mentioned how when you're going through itunes this was the least popular track yeah i wonder what it is now i haven't looked at it so i don't know um i could look at it right now but i'm too lazy so i I just wonder where it is because it's really grown on me I, i didn't not like it before but i've really come to like the parts that i was kind of iffy on before so now i've kind of more evenly appreciating it well, well here is a line 
from that show that mm -hmm. came out of my mouth. I'm not saying I kick the track out of bed, but I'm not so sure I'm all too excited to call it very often. Now? <laughs> now you're like on your phone. Hey, you up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It. Let's go to Buckle Up. You know, this, this song makes me a little dizzy, the way the main riff kind of dances around the fretboard of the guitar. You get that the, the fingers sliding too. You know, yeah, you can, can hear, hear you, you can hear the strings, uh, the fingers and the strings sliding mm -hmm. up and down the neck. And Jeff's bass also used to kind of throw me a bit. I don't mind it so much anymore. I, I almost kind of like it. It's weird. So many little sounds in this one, like little percussion things in the right channel. And there are so many instruments that kind of pop their heads up all over the map, kind of like a, a gaggle of musical meerkats, if you will. <laughs> Like the horns out of nowhere, just horns, boop, there they are. It still sounds a little weird to hear Ed sing the phrase, buckle up. Mm -hmm. This doesn't sound like one of those songs. It doesn't sound like a lyric phonetically speaking that, that makes sense to be sung. I don't know, it's just odd for me. I think it's a me thing. And the song sounds more and more like it'll need a lot of love live to sound mm -hmm. like it's supposed to. I think that'll be tricky. And maybe that's where like, you know, Josh Klinghoffer would have helped out if they if they did. And I think that could it could really sound really cool, especially extending the outro. And I, I have to say, I think I'm pleasantly surprised by how much more I like this a year later. I don't think it's super, super strong, but I think I had it as like a one and a half or a two, and now I got yeah, it at three and a half. Yeah, I'm at a three with it. Uh, I said this then, and, and I'll say it again. It feels like it's the parachutes of this album. Oh, it's yeah. got a quirky Beatles-esque oddity feel to it. That's what I said then. It's what I'll say now. Um, it, but it, it's far darker. Oh, yeah. You know what? We had a great conversation about this track where you had mentioned that lyrically, you just didn't understand what the song was about. Yeah. And and, and, uh, and I feel like you're in a different place now that for me, as much as I thought I understood it, the more I really think about it, there seems to be, I walk away from this track and I can't help but feel that there's an element to like a mercy killing where you have somebody plugged in and you're just saying let's 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 turn it off it's time to turn it off because what are we doing here and how, how do you not buckle up after that you know what i mean i mean I, I don't know what it's like to be in that situation but i'm sure that there are there's a, there's at least one person listening who, who does well, I mean, think, think about, yeah, to your point, think about the last year we've had with this music, right? Yeah. And how many, and how, how many much people life, had to do the same thing? How much life has happened and how many people in this life over this last year of just wild ups and downs and downs further and then ups again um, ha would have had to make a decision similar to this. Uh, right. Not to, I, I would never compare a human to a not human, but I can tell you that uh, we had to put a dog down recently. And yeah, sad, a, another buddy of mine had to do something this week too. Yeah, I mean, exact, this is, exact same thing. I've been there too. It's just, and it's like I remember, I remember your dog, and it's a it's a very strange feeling to to have to pull the plug, and then you have to kind of buckle up your feelings. Yeah, you gotta put a seatbelt over your over yourself, over your heart, because otherwise you're just gonna fall out and 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 be a mess. And you have to kind of pull it together. And that's just a dog. 
Matthew, I know, like but your, your, your but great th- uncle or your but grandfather. Think about what you said about the music of the track, too. It's unconventional. Like you mm-hmm. almost describe it in a way that's uncomfortable. It should yeah. be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And, and based on what we're what we're reflecting on here, I mean, it, that experience is uncomfortable. And and I feel that it's one of those tracks that I wouldn't be surprised. Like if if they never played this song live, how cool would that be? Hmm. It's almost like uh, like I never thought they'd ever play arc live because i thought that it was too sacred for that when i read on the album i thought this is an homage to the the friends that we lost you know and then of course eddie started doing it on his his solo stuff and and we heard a little bit on the riot act tour but um this is the type and and this is terrible to say because i mean can you imagine stone writes a song and they're like oh we're never going to play it live it's like (laughs) yeah but but i also feel that there's something about this track that's very personal um, and I'm not saying he wrote it with a sense of, of personal nature or that it necessarily you know, connects back to an experience that he himself lived. But there's, there's, there's an element to this track where in small doses in the right settings, I think it could be really powerful. And so I'm very curious to see what the band does with the song moving forward. Yeah, it could be one of those songs that, that needs to come out on a certain night, but usually stays yeah. on the shelf. Yeah, and, and and you know we'll talk more about that when we get to the, yes. the what if. But uh, let's go on to comes then goes. Um, I still love Ed's guitar tone. It's that big bad J two hundred Gibson. You know it has yeah. to be that. It's just massive sounding, especially because it's just him and that guitar. And, and sometimes that's the kind of vibe you want. If you want an intimate sound for a song, like a really small thing, you want a smaller guitar. But here, I love how it's billowing and just massive. It's still my favorite lyrics on the album. I love the lyrics of this song. Mm. Incisions made by scalpel blades of time. Love it. Just love it. Yeah, it's one of his best. I think I don't mind how long this is. I know we're going to disagree on this, especially because it's just Ed. Because the way he sings and the changes in melody and the riffs on the guitar are so frequent that it stays interesting yet memorable. For me, at least, I know we're going to disagree, but that's how, kind of how that's where I'm living on this. And if you listen closely, you'll hear little feedback swells in the wide channels at inflection points. We thought, you know, there's an interview with Josh Evans about how they realized that this song didn't need anything, but there is little bits of of, of other beyond uh, Ed in this song. If you really pay attention in those wide channels, you'll hear it just kind of helping nudge. The emotion in certain points and you know that i'm trying line it really starts to get across the utter hopelessness of ed the start of the final recognition that it's really over you know coming from our talk about buckle up coming into the song my god when you lose someone dear to you you know your sadness comes and then it goes and it comes again and you have to kind of it's a painful roller coaster as you know you try to grasp onto the memory while life kind of barrels on regardless and your eq your emotional quotient is tested and it's not pleasant and i think this song does a great job of honing in on that despite its length and because all the lyrics are so strong for me because the melody and 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 the sections are so frequently changed I find it to be fantastic, and I give it a four and a half. Nice. I, I, I won't. I, 
No, I'm not going to. I'm giving it a three, but I'm not going to disagree with you. And I say that because who am I to criticize Ed's expression of the way he feels after losing a very close friend? Um, You know, if he wants to write a 15 minute song of just him on a guitar. And I think when I first heard the song, I had very strong feelings about the band's involvement or in this case, lack of involvement. But the reality is that, you know, Ed was trying to express the lamentation, the um, the sense of loss, the emptiness that comes from what I can only imagine is the loss of Chris Cornell. Uh, the, obviously, that's purely conjecture on my part, but here's what I will say. It's a touching ode to a lost friendship. It feels like a nice ending to Off He Goes. Hmm. But like that song, I still believe that it would benefit from the whole band. So that's why it's three out of five for me. It's it's it, it's not a criticism of the track because I don't think that's fair. Whereas maybe I was a little too short-sighted on that note a year ago. I think now I respect the way it was composed and produced and delivered to us. That being said, I still feel like the ambition of the song would be more fulfilled if the rest of the band was able to contribute. Whereas at the time I that the whole band had shared that loss and I thought the song would have benefited from that communal shared loss. Sure. Um, and, and, but, but it's not that that's not fair for me to, to say, because it might've been Ed saying, Hey, this is, this is me. And, and this is my thing. You know, that this is, this is my communication with that experience. And, and, the rest of the band said, wow, this is really powerful. We love it. We're just going to leave it alone. Um, you know what I mean? And maybe they didn't want to contribute in that way. Uh, uh, I mean, Josh Evans really felt like, as you mentioned, that this song was fine on its own. And so I just feel that, like, off he goes, this song would, I think, be stronger as a composition, objectively speaking, if the rest of the band was involved, especially given its length. You, you may not be wrong. And I'd be curious to see if they try it this way at some point. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. If if I mean, if it's Ed on a guitar as part of an encore, cool. Uh, but if they play it mid set and the rest of the band chimes in, I would love to hear what they do. All right, let's go to retrograde. Now, how they'll pull this intro off live, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> that, that symphonic swell, like like a thundercloud rolling in, will be very interesting to see. I love how the beautiful verse gives way to that pre-chorus, which sounds right. like a clock ticking. And I can only assume this was intentional given the theme of this song and the album at large. I think this song uses digital better than the rest of the tracks here. It does. And, you know, it, 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 I, I said this at the time. It's, it's what I wanted Yellow Moon to be. And I love Yellow Moon. Yeah. Um, and by the way, that, that, isn't that a great analogy for life? Analog <laughs> and digital working in harmony to create something great. <laughs> So, you know, there's more digital symphonic swells, like a school of whales breaching the ocean's surface, racing away from from trouble they can't comprehend. That's kind of how I feel about some of that digital uh, symphonic business happening. And Matt trying to warn that's a them. Fine simile on on your part there. Thank but. you very much. That that's the by the way that that is the um, the outro. When we finally get to that massive outro, that's when we get those those big symphonic swells, and that, and they felt like. 
whales to me. It's the first thing I thought of when, I, when we listened to this the other night was whales breaching the ocean's surface, racing away from trouble that they cannot comprehend. Wow. And, uh, because they're whales. They don't fucking know what's going on. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a hauntingly beautiful, um, arresting image that you just shared. So and I, I, and I, I commend think, you on that. Thank you. I, I think that Matt is trying to warn them the way he plays drums on this. It's very manic, almost like his best uh, Keith Moon impression. And I mean, the song will soar like all get out when it's played live. If they can pull off the synths here, which I'm sure they'll find a way to do it. And it's still as fantastic as it was the first time I heard it. Four and a half. Yeah, uh, it, it's still a five for me. It's still as soaring and epic as it was when I first heard it. I think it'll actually go down as the true greatest hit on the album. Mm. I, I really can't disagree with that because I can see that being the case and I still love it. So right there with you uh we'll finish off with river cross now i never noticed the breathing around the pump or pump organ at the beginning of the song interesting that i didn't notice it before mm. i still don't like the kalimba bouncing around ed in the verse sounds like a mistake to me uh it's another set of lyrics that are far from ed's finest in my opinion two on the nose and some are just quite cringeworthy, much like seven o'clock for me. The whole like, what is it? Uh, while the government thrives on discontent and then you have proselytizing and profitizing, like, oh my fucking God, like really dude? We know we know where you stand on the, on the political spectrum. This is just like beating you on the head kind of thing. It's just crazy. Woof for me. Also, is there like fake crowd noise in this song? What What, what is that? There's that one part where it's like a, weird not a fan the the here and now portion is where this song finds its foothold for me but also it's too far gone much like seven o'clock it's just too far into the song we i've already you've already lost me at least the outro is far superior to seven o'clock this the whole share the light is a great way to end the album i will say that and the organ kind of dancing around the drums is really cool in that outro but like I said, I, I've already been lost. So two and a half for me. That might be a slight upgrade from the first time around, but yeah. It's a three for me. Uh, you know, the song has that, has those gospel shadings at the end. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, that determined end leaves us with some hope. Despite the, the, the emptiness that comes with seeing a river full of things we wanted to achieve, but didn't grow wider and wider as we face our own mortality, mortality pardon me. Um, you know what? I think of a song like Parting Ways. Obviously, there's no lyrical parallels here, mm -hmm. but I feel like this track, like with that one, with time, I will grow to appreciate and enjoy the song more and more. And so, for me, it's a three right now. Um, I already appreciate it more today than I did a year ago, so I can already see where this is going with the track. I don't think it'll top out as any higher than a three out of five with me, maybe a three and a half, but but that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it. That being said, there are many who have listened to this song who have literally commented online that it, it, it they wept. I mean, that, that it, the song literally brought them yeah. to tears. And, and I think that, that that's pretty special about a track that it can have that effect. And so it doesn't have that effect on me. And I can honestly say this to those that are listening, I'm envious of those who had that reaction to the track because what what a beautiful 
way to to you know andy wood once said that music is the universal language what a beautiful uh, i'm stumbling over my words here. a beautiful way to commune with the band and, uh, and and i wasn't able to have that you know and so i, I do appreciate and respect that it is a, a a bit of emotional fomo yeah for me it was you know it, i want to feel what everyone else is feeling when they listen to the song but all i can do is hear drums and kalimba just not being in the same arena as the pump organ and then ed singing something so heartfelt but the lyrics are just nowhere near the grade that i think he thinks they are and it it, it just makes me i, I wish I, I wish i didn't feel this way because it, it could be so cool for me but maybe maybe in time well yeah. paul i don't i don't know how we did compared to last time we, we, only only time will tell when i go back and, and and listen to these things and put the instagram posts together maybe it won't be much change at all maybe we're maybe we're crazy but i don't know I don't let's know. move on to our what if and this kind of just goes right into the next thing here so no intro music no 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 drops here what if there was no pandemic what if there there was a tour you know, we, we, we had this album and, and we, I think we would have been like four shows in to the tour. Let me pull it up here. We would be on uh, New York City, New York City, Madison Square Garden. Uh, as you're listening to this, it is uh, March 30th. Uh, if you're listening to it on the day of release, uh, today would be Madison Square effing Garden, New York City. I mean, man. I mean, personally, I'm still waiting to attend shows 21 and 22. I know this isn't a large number amongst many of you out there, many many of you Pearl Jam savages, but for me, it's pretty good. I was really looking forward to this, especially considering I, I mean, we had great seats and we still have great seats. The tickets are still useful whenever they decide to, you know, redo these shows. Now the band was going to hit some places they haven't, uh, ever been to or hadn't been to in forever. I'm going to quickly kind of go through these and, and chime in uh, when you have something here, uh, Paul. So the Apollo Theater in New York. Wow. I mean, what a show that probably would have been. Maybe they'll redo it. Maybe they won't. Ed has played there on a solo show. Uh, but the band has not, to my knowledge. Uh, imagine that place packed with 10 clubbers. You know, my thoughts are sixfold on this. Okay. (laughs) Number one, and you mentioned this, you mentioned Madison Square Garden, you mentioned the Apollo. There's a place for an epic show on this tour. And I can't help but wonder if we were going to get one of those gorge box sets, those Philly box sets. I feel like this tour was going to lead to that, that we were going to get a special reserve offering. Um, Like with every tour. What type of memorable moments will, would we have experienced in the final moments of, of, of the Trump era? I mean, right. if you go back to the Riot Act tour, he impaled the Bush mask on a mic stand during what the show in Denver. What would he have done? What would he have done on stage that would have gone down in infamy amongst... The, <laughs> uh, is, is there a song better live than there is on the album? We, we kind of teased this with Quick Escape. For me, that would have been that song. So I would have loved to have to hear this whole album played live with all due respect to the amazing Pearl Jam cover bands. 
nobody can possibly know how Pearl Jam envisions their own music played yeah. live. And, and, and I adore the interpretations of these songs by these bands as played live by, you know, Red Mosquito, Black Circle, Corduroy, and so on and so on. But until you hear Pearl Jam play them, we don't truly know how they plan on unveiling these tracks. We would have had the same relentless onstage energy that we get every tour that I think would have, would have really hallmarked and, and highlighted the shows. New covers, man. I think they, uh, the Riot Act, yeah. I, I want to say there were over 50 covers that they play. What songs will they have covered on this tour that we've never heard them cover before? That alone is, is a, a whole episode worth of discussion. And then, of course, I think, uh, and this you obviously teased earlier as well, what surprise guests? Yeah. If you're going to take the long way, Who's opening for you? You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, do we have a band, a female-led band? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you're not going to have Haim you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. opening for Pearl Jam. I mean, maybe you will. I don't know, man. I, I Bring back garbage. Surely <laughs> Manson would. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that it would be fascinating to see uh, the way they approach these tracks live, especially a song like Take the Long Way. And, and I, I can't help but wonder if in each city, you know, that they wanted to play this song, they looked for an iconic musician from that city and they reached out and said, hey, that's would you great, join Eddie Vedder for that's this That's a great point. That's a great point. And, and as I'm going down the list here of the cities they would have played, um, and we, I, I mentioned uh, the Apollo Theater, and I mentioned mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden. Smack dab in the middle of that, by the way, is poor Baltimore. <laughs> they there because the the Apollo show was basically um, like four or five days apart. I think it's four days apart from the Garden show, and right in the middle was Baltimore. And they've only ever seen one show. Imagine that Baltimore, pretty damn big city. Only what seen did they have one planned show. for this? What, I don't know. It, it, obviously something big i mean you don't go there for the second time ever with the stature that you have and, and you don't have something up your sleeve this is the thing is this this uh, okay, i bet it would have gone down in the annals of war one of the greatest pearl well, Dam shows ever that's the thing right so when you're stuck between the apollo theater and the garden it's going one of two ways it's going to be like okay are they going to be on a little bit of a, a energy low and in the in baltimore might not be that great or is it going to be like fuck we haven't played here since 2013 and that was the only show ever. And we're going to fucking crush it. I don't know. You got a, a place like Oklahoma city. They, they played the same venue in 2013 as well, but only two other times beyond that. And that's 2003 and 1993 Nashville. If you don't count the third band records gig, they haven't played that bastion of music since 2003 <laughs> Hamilton, Ontario hasn't seen them played in 10 years. And that's just the North America tour. How about the European tour? They had never played Frankfurt, Germany since 1992. Copenhagen's last show was 2012. They have never played Imola, Italy. It's a town about 30 miles, I'm sorry, 30 minutes southeast of Bologna. It's a festival at a racetrack. Never played there before. Krakow, Poland was played in 2018 on the last tour, but it's the only date. And I'm sure the Poles are salivating to get another taste of that. Then you've got Budapest. The Hungarians have only seen Pearl Jam once before, and that was in 1996. And if you remember, they were supposed to see this band in 2000, 
but the show is canceled at the last minute. And that's why we got that second legendary Katowice Poland show. Mm-hmm. The good people of Zurich have not seen these guys since the binaural tour and only <laughs> twice before that. You think that Paris has seen the band a bunch of times, but you'd be wrong. They've only gotten Pearl Jam six times, and three of those were in 1992, the last time in 06. <laughs> Pearl Jam has played the Zigo Dome in Amsterdam six times before. Every show has been fantastic, especially those two in 2012. So we've got all these shows just sitting here. What kind of performances would we have seen last spring and summer? You know, like I said before, there was chatter of Josh Klinghoffer coming on board to help out considering the Gigaton songs. Um, and what about the fall? You know, we weren't, and I said this in the clubhouse chat last Saturday, we weren't going to get another official vote for change tour, but I bet it would have felt like that. And Jeff is on record as saying that the second leg of the North American tour would have conveniently found its way through some of those swing states in America. Yeah. 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 You know, as we edge closer to the election, you know, I bet you have cities like Charlotte, Miami, maybe Columbus and Cleveland, would have been on the menu. Georgia. Philadelphia and Atlanta. We talked to John about the big Atlanta thing, and Georgia uh-huh. was on our minds in, in January with the runoff election. Atlanta would have gotten some love last year. Uh, maybe even Texas State. You know, when's the last time they played Austin that wasn't city limits? Mm-hmm. 95. That's when. Nuts. This would have been uh, as charged a tour as we have seen in a long time because of the context around the politics in America. And if you're a conservative Pearl Jam fan, you might have found your friend Ed kind of insufferable, let's be honest. Uh, as it stands, we have a lot of European dates scheduled or rescheduled for this coming summer, and fingers crossed that they're able to stay on. I know things are very dicey in Europe right now. Our, our European friends, I know there's like the AstraZeneca vaccine is out there, but it's kind of being hoarded by the by the Brits, and like there's our vaccines in America, the Pfizer and the Moderna, like they're they're Hey, talk about talk about America first. We're kind of getting these things first. So I'm sorry. And and, and there's just this weird kind of chokehold of of getting things moving forward in Europe and how many people travel to the European shows. I just don't know. A lot of them are festivals. Yeah, we just don't know how this summer is going to pan out. Those dates are going to stay on. I think Randy from Live and Four Legs told me that May 1st is the deadline to pull out of those to get a refund if you think you're not going to be able to make it if those shows do end up going away. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Personally, I had tickets to the Ohana Festival in Dana Point, California. The 2020 version was postponed exactly a year away, so I still have tickets to that weekend of shows, which is going to be this coming September. God, I hope it stays on. Yeah. But like... It's very frustrating because this tour and this album played live was made for 2020. It really and it's, was. It's not going to be the same. Well, uh, look, we say that, but I think the band knows that as well. And let's give them the benefit of the doubt and the opportunity to come and play this album on their terms instead of a pandemic's terms. Yeah. I think it'll still be very charged. I mean, think about it. As we go out, and we start to go have dinner outside. Um, we go out to the bars. We go and enjoy ourselves, and you know, in a, in a bit of normalcy as we're as we're edging closer back to, you know, normalcy. Um, we were very excited. You know, we we were out to dinner tonight, my family and I, and 
my mother was talking about how she goes, I don't even know how much this drink costs. I'm just so excited to be able to order a drink at a, at a restaurant. And I'm like, yeah, we're all just stoked to be living our lives again right. to some degree. I imagine this is going to be from a live event standpoint, talk about sports, talk about comedy, talk about concerts. The, the catharsis. Holy shit. It's going to happen guys. I know we're, we're talking kind of negatively right now, but things are happening. Things are happening. And when these, once these shows come back and happen, I, th- I think, I mean, these guys are getting old, but I tell you what, these shows are going to fucking rock. Cannot wait. Let's go to our lyric of the week. Lyric of the week this week, my friend. It comes from Vitalogy, the Life album, and it's Spin the Black Circle. Paul, I've been talking a lot. I'm going to shut the fuck up and you're going to tell me about this song, Spin the Black Circle. <laughs> Pull it out a paper sleeve. I, I feel like more and more I'm pulling out some black vinyl and throwing it on the old record player these days. I have to say, it really is an ode to vinyl. Um, we've talked about this in the past, that whole Kurt Loder segment from MTV. You know, <laughs> how there were people that were just boycotting the band, thinking it was basically an ode to heroin instead. Now, that being said, if you look a little bit more closely at the lyrics, um, I can see where people might have, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like he wrote the song to feel like a drug addiction. It's just, you have to see through that and understand that it, it's, it's an addiction to vinyl. Um, we just spent an entire episode talking about a record. And it felt appropriate that we should have a lyric of the week that essentially is dedicated towards a love of records. And so it's simple. It's just, it's no grand deep analysis on this one, buddy. There, there isn't. I was a little, I wasn't, I guess I was a little surprised that you chose this. You know, we have a grid of, of the entire catalog. We try and really evenly space out every song. So we're kind of pulling from all over the place and it's pretty even. So we haven't done anything from Vitalogy in a while. And when you chose uh, Spin the Black Circle, I'm like, well, there's not much really to say about this. But then you think of a line like, oh, my joy, only you deserve conceit. And the idea that a record, the feeling of putting a record on and listening to it and the joy from that deserves mm-hmm. conceit. What an interesting way to think about that. You know, what do we- well, I, I think the idea is that as people, we're flawed and, and humility should be the goal. Yeah. But music is a greater, it, it's an expression that far supersedes who we are as people, perhaps. And mm-hmm. it exceeds anything we could ever do with our own thoughts and actions, maybe. I mean, it, the way music can reverberate through time, it truly does parallel the great deeds of men and women and so i feel like that deserves conceit because it's so much greater you know what i mean it 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 outlives us and and i understand that 
I don't want to say idolation or adoration for music. I feel like here Eddie's writing a song and he's thinking, I wouldn't be who I am today without music. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't have yeah. been able to endure the experiences that I endured without being able to put on some headphones and listen to these albums as a child, as a youth. And so, and quite frankly, I'm sure there's, there are some listening to us right now who feel the same way about Pearl Jam's music. So is there a conceit there? Yeah, but the music as its own organic thing deserves that conceit. And he's not, and he's not even saying that the, the, the joy from the music or the music itself is conceited. He's saying that it deserves Deserves, it. right. Yeah. You know, and I know this isn't the section of lyrics that we're pulling from, but a line like, you know, well, here it comes. I touch the plane, turn me up, won't turn you away. So the idea of him being, people talk about music saving their life all the time. And it's this grandiose statement, right? And a lot of people kind of like, oh, okay, man, that's, that's, that's a crazy thing. No, some people are in places where their favorite records are able to kind of keep them stable and turn them around. And Lenny talked about this Yeah, from black circle about which album spoke to him and how they almost mimicked or reflected what he was going through in his life and, and why that music spoke to him and helped carry him through some of those difficult trying tribulations and experiences. And so uh, I think it's actually a, a far more profound lyric than it gets credit for. So is it still the most overrated song in vitalogy? (laughs) <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what we deemed it as Adam. All right. <laughs> Let's go to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. Okay, Paul, you've picked a a rocking song, a bitchin' song. Where are we going and when are we going? Soldier Field. I think it's one of the, uh, my favorite shows. Um, that ninety-five yep. tour and, and uh, it it rips, man. But specifically the Vault release, Vault Seven. I just think that it's an outstanding production. They did an amazing job mixing and mastering that show, and I you, you really feel it. You know what I mean? You, you feel the ode, and so to me, as of right now, I mean we're somewhat limited in terms of the offerings that we have mm. of this track. And uh, I love the, uh, what was the, the monkey wrench radio? Mm-hmm. That's a great track too. Uh, thought that was a great live version actually, but this one to me takes the cake. So. All right, let's go to Chicago, July 11th, 1995.
so Paul, you pick this version, you pick Chicago. Um, this is obviously we've said it before an epic show. Ed is basically blowing his vocals out uh, <laughs> as was the style at the time for him right in the middle of a Vitalogy mini set. You know, after the show opens with a release and then go, there's like five songs in a row from Vitalogy. And I think what this, what this release does, and we did hear it on, on the, on the bootleg pre vault when you had like the radio, you know, broadcast version, kind of like how we had Atlanta 94 for a long time. And then all of a sudden we got the, surprise beautiful soundboard quality version the 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 pristine version of this from the soundboard remastered properly it showcases the aggression and the rawness of that era so well and of the song particularly so well that even though there's a number of bootlegs out there of acceptable quality from this era Unless you have the audio quality really, really great, it's it it, it doesn't it cannot possibly transmit. No, because somebody will say, "Man, you had to be there." Just it, it, it's cool. You're listening to it in your car, but it, it, if you weren't there, you had to be there. This vault release feels like you're there, and I completely second those thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there is there is zero let up in this version. It just flies by without reprieve. And with barely a breath and without any fanfare or time to soak in the applause, they're right into Tremor Christ. And I love that about this version. And this, this performance was a signifier of what was to come over the next nearly three hours. And I love that it's at the front of the show because of that. And it's just a great reason because of the context, because of the performance and because of the audio quality. So hard pressed to find a better version of Spin the Black Circle. And this has been a very long episode. But I like it. It's, it's been worth it. It's been a retrospective on a gigaton uh, and everything that has come over the it's past year. It's a fireside year. chat. It really has it's been. A, and, and you you know, so just pour yourself something enjoyable. <laughs> I finished my scotch, us. Paul. I'm yeah. done. <laughs> my house pour is, is done. Your house, house pour? pour home pour. My home pour is I done. I hope those listening enjoyed their pour because uh, we, we definitely um, stretched driving tonight. And not, well, no, no of course not. <laughs> there's enough pearl jam driving songs yeah seriously uh all right gang well thank you for listening uh we really appreciate it and we really appreciate when you guys chime in and 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 talk to us on instagram on twitter on facebook um you know who you are and uh we look forward to seeing you uh out there on the socials on the uh on the black circle comment sections on the live stream red mosquito Oh, we got the, the, the Vitalogy boys. See what they're up to. They're, they're, they're in town. Which probably, they're probably playing a show pretty soon. Uh, with that, we will see you next week. And until that show next week, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.